a student minister in a small town, Bruce was on a roll. Every weekend he'd travel about an hour out from the city where he was living and he'd travel out to this rural parish and minister them in the weekend. Now this church had standing in the community. It had a fine reputation. It was also the hub of spiritual and community activity. He even met his to-be wife in that church. However, one weekend, a harsh reality was exposed. Talking with one of the elders, he happened to say, well, I haven't seen Jenny for a while. Is she still going to youth group? I'd like to catch up with her. Well, the face of the elder changed, became quite stern. I suppose you haven't heard, the elder said. Jenny's fallen pregnant and she's gone to the city to live with her brother. Oh, well then, said the young minister, I could visit her. His thinking was he lived in the city and he could probably call in. Oh no, the elder said, you're the last person she wants to know what happened. Now Bruce, the young training minister, was both surprised and saddened to hear this response. Surely, surely a minister would be exactly the person that someone like Jenny would want to speak to. And then he thought about it and reflected. And then he wrote this. Then it occurred to me, this is what is wrong with the church of our time. Church has become a place to go where you put on your best clothes. You worship, you sit in a Bible study or prayer group, you may even have a potluck dinner together, but you don't bring your life. You leave behind all your pain and your brokenness, your hopes and even your fears. So how do you react when you hear a story like this? Are you angry that the church wasn't a place that Jenny felt safe to share her life, even her mistakes? Or maybe you're just saddened and resigned and think, well, that's just the way things are. However, a church that refuses to be a place where all are loved and feel safe breaks the Father heart of God and can crush our spirit. So let me ask you, could our church become like this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, We're conscious that as a church we don't get everything right. But the last thing we want to do is to slip into habits and behaviour that push others and you away. So, enlighten our hearts and our minds, teach us what we need to know and help us to put it into action. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well today, for the first time in Peter's letter, we're introduced to the theme of love. Now, if you're at all familiar with the Bible, you'll know that love, particularly God's love for us, is a major theme. Just a couple of examples from both the Old and the New Testament to set the scene, to remind us how overarching love is is in the Bible. And first of all, Psalm 86.15, which was our call to worship this morning. But you, Lord, are compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding, abounding, overflowing with love and faithfulness. And from the New Testament, where you can't go past John 3.16, can you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. Now, this wonderful love, we are not to receive passively. We're not to say, thank you for your love, Lord, and then carry on as if he didn't exist. Carry on in our own world, live out our life as we see fit by ourselves. Not at all. We are to respond to this great love to us. 
And Jesus himself makes it clear what our response is to be. For when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? I always chuckle because he snuck, he snuck in two, didn't he? The most important one, Jesus says, is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind and with your strength. And the second is to love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so what Jesus is saying here is twofold. God first loves us and so we love him. And so we can say that's love in the vertical direction. And the second commandment is what we might call horizontal love, where we love each other. Now both of these loves are complementary and inseparable. What do I mean by complementary? Well, this is how it works. God loves us and we love in return, and then that overflows so that we love each other. And as we love each other, it proves that we love God and enhances our love. And so those loves, both the horizontal and the vertical, are complementary. And they're also inseparable. Because the Bible says you can't love God and not love other Christians. You can't separate them out. So I'm a Christian, I only love God, but I don't worry about loving other people. doesn't work. And if you only love other people and don't love God, if you separate out that, then you're not a Christian. You're just a good person. But you're certainly not a Christian if you just love other people and not God. So this love, God's love and our love for him and for each other, complementary and inseparable. And this is the big picture of love, the theme that is taken all the way from Genesis right to Revelation, the big picture theme of love. So with that in the back of our mind, let's drill down into 1 Peter and see what 1 Peter has to contribute to this wonderful theme of love. And we see that in verse 22 of chapter 1. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Notice the double use of the word love there. Now there's a lot of things happening here when it comes to the word love, and it's to do with this. In the original language, in the Greek, there are three different words, at least three different words that are translated in the English, love. Three different words. So, what combination of these three different words is, is Peter using here? Well, let's explore those three words, and then we'll see how Peter is using different words in the original Greek to express something quite different about love. So, there are three words in the Greek language for love, at least three. And the first one is philia. Philia. And philia means brotherly love. Brotherly love. It's the love between siblings. It's the love between friends. You may have heard of the city Philadelphia. Philia means brotherly love. Delphia means city. So Philadelphia, in name anyway, is the city of brotherly love. And as a bit of an aside, I remember sitting in a chemistry class many, many years ago and being introduced to the word um, hydrophilic. What do you think hydrophilic would be in a chemistry sort of term? Hydro means water. Uh, philic, philia, means love. So, a chemical that is hydrophilic loves to dissolve in water. So, if you're told that salt is hydrophilic, you know that salt dissolves in water, as does sugar. And that's contrasted with um, hydrophobic. What do you think a hydrophobic chemical does when it comes to water? 
Yeah, it repels, exactly, it doesn't like it. So oil is hydrophobic. Now that's a little bit of a chemistry lesson you didn't need, but that's in my mind how I kind of remember these things. Hydrophilic, loves water. We're hydro-Christian, no? Not hydro-Christian, that would be a wet Christian and that would be baptism. No. We are Christian-philic. Now I've just invented a new word which you can instantly forget, but we love each other. So anyway, that's the first word. Philia means brotherly or sisterly love. It's the love between friends. You can see that in the coffee shop when you've got two friends that are chatting away and you just know that they've got that lovely friendship there. It's philia. Friendship love. Now this is contrasted with eros. Now eros is another form of love and it is the word for sexual love. It's where we get the word erotic or erotica. Sexual love. So, now in the English language, we don't have two different words for brotherly love and sexual love, but context helps us understand that, so we don't get muddled, do we? We all know the difference between I love my friend and I made love to my wife. We understand the difference. But the Greek has two different words, philia and eros. Now what about the third word? Does anyone know what the third word is? Agape or agape, depending on how you want to, pray to pronounce it. Agape. So, if we've discussed brotherly love, friendship love, if we've discussed sexual love, what other love can there be? Well, agape love is the love where we work for the benefit of the other even when the other doesn't deserve it. It is undeserved love. You see, it's easy to love someone who reciprocates, who loves us back. If they are kind to us, we are kind to them. If they respect us, we respect them. If the neighbour lends us a tool, not only do we return the tool timely, unbroken, we also give them a hand if they need one, don't we? And it's easy to love like that. But how do we love someone who treats us badly? Who does that? Who loves someone who treats them badly? What do you do about the one you thought was a friend but betrayed you? For no reason, gossip behind your back and turned your friends against you. Is it possible to work for their good? Is it possible to love them agape love? Maybe. What about if you've got an 18-year-old child living with you who is going off the rails, who sneaks off at night Drinks, takes some drugs, gets in trouble with the police. And when they're home, they're unbearable, they're belligerent, they're rude. You even find them pilfering money from your wallet or your purse. Can you love that sort of person? Can you work for their benefit? Agape love. Maybe. What about God? Is it possible for God to love us who were born rebellious and have rebelled in our heart of hearts from first breath until now? Is it possible for a holy God, a righteous God, an all-powerful God, a God who created the heavens and the earth, a God who will not be mocked, is it possible for God to work for our, God, for our good? Is it possible for God to agape love us? Well, isn't it wonderful news of the gospel that he has? For John 15 verse 9, As the Father has agaped me, so I have agaped you. This is Jesus speaking. Greater agape has no man than this, 
but to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. Both there we see agape love of the Father and the Son directed to us who least deserve it. And we see the Father and the Son working for our good, even while we were rebels. As Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, said, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? And that is agape love. So let's go back to 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 22. The word love is used twice. What combination of philia, eros, or agape is he using here to express God's love? Let's have a look at that. Here we go, verse 22. See if I can get the right verse this time. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere philia for each other, agape one another deeply from the heart. Well, that makes a bit of a difference, doesn't it? When you understand the two different uses of the word love. Now what the Bible is saying here is this. We have philia... Friendship, brotherly love with other Christians. At conversion, God gives us a gift of brotherly affection, sisterly love, friendship love for other Christians. And this is wonderful. It's great. It's our default setting. However, what the Bible is saying here, you start with friendship love for the people next to you, Christians. You need to stir up agape love, sacrificial love. So let's unpack this a bit further. Let's summarise chapter 1. What's Peter been saying in the opening of his letter? Well, he's been reminding us that we have been given new birth. New birth, that's verse 3. That we've been born again, that's verse 23. However, as God is holy, we must be holy. That was verse 15 and 16. Now, in the negative, this means we must not conform to the evil desires we used to have. That's verse 14. But instead... We must love one another. This is in the positive. We must love one another and do so from the heart. Verse 22. I mean, that's the summary of whole of chapter 1. And so it seems to work like this. We are born again and the Holy Spirit gives us a brotherly love with other Christians. And it's amazing. However, the Bible says don't stop there. We are encouraged to stir up agape love, sacrificial love for each other. A love that works for each other's good, even when the other person doesn't deserve it. So if you look around you, sideward glances are fine. You look around you, we were all born again. When we were born again, the Holy Spirit gave us a sisterly, brotherly love for each other. Now, have you found that to be true? Is that your experience? Here's a good test. You're in a social setting. And you meet someone new, and that's lovely. And the conversation progresses, and then you find out that they are a Christian, does anything change when you meet a stranger and you find out there's a Christian? It does, doesn't it? Straight away there's a connection. You think, oh, how interesting. And all these questions in my mind, it's, I wonder how they met the Lord, I wonder how they're following the Lord. Let's get to know each other. And see, that should be the default for all of us when we meet a stranger who is a Christian. Philia, philia love. However, what the Bible is saying is this. Look around you at the people at church. Now you are willing, are you willing to work for their good even if they don't deserve it? Look around the people today. 
Even if they annoy you, even if they won't speak to you, even if they gossip about you, or worse, will you still work for their good? We're talking about the people in this room today. Will you still work for their good if they don't treat you well? And that's what Peter is challenging us. The Bible is challenging us today. And it begs the question, why do we do this? Why can't we stick at brotherly love? Why can't we, uh, to those we warm to and get on with, why can't we love those as brothers and sisters and just put up with the rest in the church, maybe avoid the ones we don't like? Works at an employment place, doesn't it? Works at school, if you're young enough. Might even work in your family. Why can't we just do that? To which the Bible tells us in 1 John 4.11, Dear friends, since God so agape us, we also ought to agape one another. That's our motivation. That means we have no opt-out. Because God first loved us, so we love one another. And interesting, this love parallels forgiveness. Parallels forgiveness. Remember we looked back a few weeks ago at the king who forgave his servant a zillion dollars, more money than we could imagine, and the king forgave that debt. And then that servant went out and he wouldn't forget forgive the debt of someone who owed him a few dollars. And both the king and Jesus reflected on that. And Jesus said, because God loved you so much, you had no choice but to forgive someone else when they sin against you. And you must do it from the heart. And remember, we discussed that over a few weeks. We looked at that, about forgiveness and reconciliation from the heart. Well, it's exactly the same with love. Because God first loved us, agape, agape, When we least deserve it, so we love each other when others least deserve it. And it's hard, and it's costs, and we can't do it by ourselves. We can only do it with God's strength. But I tell you, it's very, very beautiful, and it's a joy to be part of a church that loves each other, not just philia, but also agape. We all want to be in a church where we love each other as brothers and sisters, philia, but imagine being in a church where we love each other agape, where we work for the good of each other, even those, well, frankly, that annoy us. Like the example in this church that I want to finish today's message with. At this church, by all accounts, it was a normal Sunday. A few dozen gathered faithfully for worship. The young ones had they'd gone for Sunday school, they'd left, and the organ strained out of him for the collection. And then it was time for intercessory prayers. Now the young minister, as was his custom, he asked the congregation for prayer requests. And he had his pen poised at the front, ready to jot down the requests and then make the prayer. Now after a pause, Mary rises to her feet. Now Mary had two girls and and they were all known to the congregation. Today though, Mary looked tired, a little down, and was very hesitant as she stood. And she said, Matt left us this week and he's gone for good. I don't know how the girls and I are going to survive. Please pray for us. Now the young minister was taken back, thinking to himself, how rude, bringing a request like that during worship. You're breaking all the rules, Mary. This is thinking to himself, 
Uh, we only pray for gallbladder operations and hospitalised mother-in-laws. We only pray for that sort of thing. This is way too personal and messy and raw. As this minister is thinking this thoughts, he's interrupted by an older woman who's sitting in the church who turns to Mary and says, Well, love, we're going to pray for you. But when my husband left me, the way I survived was through some of the people here in the church helping me. We can help you. Well, the minister was pretty taken back by this. But what am I to do, said Mary, who was still standing. I never finished high school. I've never worked a day in my life. I don't want to go on the benefit. And then a man right at the back spoke up and said, well, this must be God's timing. Listen, I'm looking for a new employee. I can't pay a lot, but it would be enough to keep you going. There's no experience necessary. We'll train you up on the job. Why don't we talk afterwards? Now, the minister recovered enough to stumble through the prayer and finish the morning service. The next Sunday, however, when the minister stood up in the pulpit, he was more composed, and he said this. Last Sunday, when Mary requested prayer, we experienced a God moment. You see, I'm not sure we were a church before she brought her need to us. Now I know we are. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for helping us be church. No wonder Jesus said in John... 1335, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'll read the verse before. John 13 from 34, Jesus said, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were a church like that? Wouldn't it? And by God's grace, we can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what can we say as we come into your presence and experience something of your unconditional, awesome love for us? Thank you that you love us, Philia, that you love us as sons and daughters and that we are brothers with Jesus and that's just a wonderful friendship love. Thank you for our friendship love that we have and thank you so much for agape love. That love where you continue to work for our good no matter how much we don't deserve it. Thank you for what Christ did on the cross that we might be dearly loved. Help us as a church to work out what that means. Help us Lord to love one another in a way that people say gosh that's beautiful. Who is this Jesus that you worship? We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.